Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are continuing on in our study through the book of the Revelation. We are in chapter 8 tonight. If you are here for the first time or visiting with us or listening for the first time with this, we are walking verse by verse through this awesome book. I remind you once again, since we've had a little hiatus of a couple weeks, that chapter 1, verse 3 promises us that if we simply read this book, not necessarily understand every jot and every tittle. I'm not so sure we'll all completely understand everything in the book, but if we read it according to one Three, we will be blessed. That is absolutely true. And I believe that blessing extends to the entirety of the Bible. But at this point, we are in the intensity of the Great Tribulation. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus calls this time one such as not been seen from the beginning of the world until now. So if you think the world is in bad straits now, It is nothing compared to what is coming to this unsaved world one of these days. And I believe the days are growing uh, closer and closer with every passing day. And I believe we're very close to these days coming. Uh, Basically, the Great Tribulation, as we studied in the book of Revelation, is God's wrath being poured out upon the world. His wrath, His judgment is being poured out against sin and willful disobedience and hard-heartedness toward His love and His compassion and His forgiveness. That's on your sheet tonight as we think about why the Great Tribulation takes place. The reason is it is God's wrath and judgment expressed against unforgiven, hard-hearted, wicked sin. Now, I remind you of this fact. As we address God's punishments and God's judgments as they're poured upon the earth, judgment to the unrepentant and callous sinner is as much God's right as giving salvation and grace to those who believe in Jesus, his son. He has the right to save, and he also has the right to punish. It is not the act of a cruel God, but rather salvation and justice and wrath is the act of a righteous, holy God. Amen? So tonight we are studying uh, the personality of a righteous God who is faithful to every one of his promises, the promises of salvation as well as his promises of wrath against those who will not receive him. God is in total control and we are not in any position whatsoever to tell him what to do in his holy way of handling sin and unrighteousness and wickedness. Now to set the stage of Revelation a bit, With the opening of chapter 4, I believe that the church is raptured off of the world. It is extracted out of the world, uh, and the world is about to be lashed with judgment and punishment. But before God brings that great judgment against the world, He takes His children out so that they will not go through it. You know, the uh, Lord calls His people the salt of the earth. And when the salt is taken out as a preservative, that's when the rot sets in. So when the salt of the earth is taken out, that's when all of the trouble begins. So Christian brothers and sisters, we are going to see this scenario take place as it's described in Revelation and as it is played out. But it will not be from the vantage point of earth. 
We will see this from the vantage point of heaven. Chapter 5, the writer of Revelation, who is the old disciple John, sees God Almighty holding a scroll. That scroll is the title deed of the earth and all the universe that is God's creation. And that scroll is sealed with seven seals. I described this to my memory the last time that we met together in that the scroll, as you remember, rolling a scroll up, creating a scroll in Sunday school when you were a child, that scroll is rolled. And as it is rolled, it is sealed with a seal and rolled some more and sealed with a seal and rolled some more and sealed with a seal so that the seven seals, as the first seal is broken, it's unrolled a bit. And then the second seal is broken, it's unrolled some more until all seven seals are broken and it is completely revealed in the judgment of God. But the only one who can touch this holy scroll of ownership, this title deed to the universe, is God's Son, the Lamb, Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, His resurrection from the grave gives Him the authority and the worthiness to be our owner and to be the ruler of the universe and all of its inhabitants. Now, again, tonight, as we look at the seals being broken, very quickly, uh, here are the first six seals as we have studied them. And I'll try to go slowly enough that you can jot down a note or two. When seal number one is broken, the Antichrist rides forth on a white horse. He comes forth to deceive the nations. Seal two is broken, and war and bloodshed break forth. Seal three is broken. Starvation, limits to the food supply, affect the earth. Seal four is broken. Death and hell are what the unsaved will receive. Seal five, a divine promise from God to punish those who kill Christians because of their faith. So God promises that vengeance is His and all martyrs' death will one day be brought to justice. Seal 6 being broken brings forth natural disasters. Great fear falls on the unsaved as all of nature is crumbling around people. And it is absolutely true that uh, people are going to be saved in this day of the great tribulation. People are realizing that this is a day of divine retribution, and there are many who stop laughing at God and making fun of God, and and out of their atheism, they turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. This is a day of tremendous evangelism. People are saved. They are not, however, saved through the ministry of the church. The church is gone but rather they're saved through the ministry of evangelists who are out in the world uh, proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, chapter 7, in the midst of this great turmoil taking place on the earth, we see God seal a great host of witnesses from the nation of Israel. It's amazing that for many hundreds of years, the Jews rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior, saying that they did not believe He was the Messiah. The Messiah was yet still to come. However, God seals a great host, 144,000 evangelists from the nation of Israel so that they will go into the world as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that 144,000 evangelists will bring un numbered people to the Lord Jesus. This evangelism team is going to lead countless numbers of people to Jesus as Lord and Savior in 
the day, during the day of the great tribulation. People will be saved in the midst of these terrible days. So six seals of punishment have now been broken, and the last seal, seal number seven, remains. This is the greatest seal of divine punishment of all the seven. This is the greatest seal of punishment. And as we will learn, uh, with the breaking of this one seal, we have the blowing of the seven trumpets. With the blowing of the seventh trumpet, then the pouring out of seven vials of punishment. So it's at this point at which the great tribulation gets absolutely horrendous as God's anger and wrath and judgment is being poured out upon a sinful world. Now, it is absolutely true that God is patient, God is loving, and God is kind. But in this point that we see in the world's future, God is saying, time is up. There will be no more leniency. Enough is enough. Sinners and Satan and death and hell are going to bow to me. And leniency is over. The time has come for God to settle all the accounts. So that brings us to chapter 8. Tonight we're going to do exactly what God tells us to do so that we may be blessed as we come to this book together. And that is we're going to read it. I want you to read along with me as I read to you the entirety of chapter 8. Hear these words. They are the word of God and we will be blessed because we hear them right now. And when he, meaning Jesus, the Lamb, when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were, as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld, 
and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of this precious word from Revelation chapter 8 as the seventh seal now has begun to be opened. As Jesus breaks this last seal on the great scroll of God, there is silence in heaven for one half hour. Now, normally, I believe heaven is a place of joy. I believe that heaven is a place of joyful noise. When it says to us in the Word that we're to make a joyful noise to the Lord, I believe heaven is going to be a rather noisy place with lots of praise and lots of activity. Uh, I believe it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful place. But as this seal of retribution and judgment is broken, all the praise ceases. And it is silent as can be in heaven for 30 minutes Every member of heaven, from Noah to Abraham to Jacob, Moses, David, Isaiah, to the apostles of Jesus, Matthew and Peter, James, Paul, to all the raptured church of Jesus Christ, all the tribulation saints, every member of heaven is holding their breath in Silence, holy silence, as this last seal of the great tribulation is broken and about to be unleashed upon the earth. This is an awesome quietness, a holy quietness. And I believe, according to the word of Revelation, it's quite unusual for all of heaven to be that silent all at one time. The last tribulation is carried out by seven angels who are going to blow seven trumpets. So seven angels now stand in a row before God, and they are given seven trumpets of judgment. You will also notice as I read this chapter that an eighth angel makes an appearance. That eighth angel comes before God, and that angel is holding a golden bowl or a a golden pan of incense. And, of course, you know you light incense, and it burns, and it gives a a beautiful odor, and the smoke rises from incense. As the incense burns in that golden censer, the smoke is rising from it. It symbolizes the prayers of God's people, which have ascended to Him for many generations. And God has stored up all the prayers of all of His people, and He's going to answer each one of them. No prayer is going to go unanswered by the will of God. He knows every one. So as the smoke of these prayers ascend to God and rise to God, the punishment of God descends upon the earth. So prayers rise up, punishment comes down. All of heaven is assembled to witness God's judgment. That's why I wanted you to understand that while we will not see the great tribulation from this vantage point, we will see it according to the word from the vantage point of God's throne. Now, four of the seven trumpets announce God's destruction of the earth's ecology, and the balance of nature is going to be absolutely interrupted and done away with. We're going to look at four trumpets tonight as we study this word. The last three trumpets involve demons, 
that devastate the earth's population. We will get to that in the next study, but tonight we're going to look at the first four of the trumpets as we see them in chapter 8. Angel number 1 raises trumpet number 1, and when the angel blows that trumpet, hail and fire fall upon the earth. Now, this could be due to a massive volcanic eruption. Ash and steam are released into the atmosphere. Often, when a volcano erupts in a huge way, the steam of the volcano rises to the upper atmosphere, and it condenses and falls back to the earth as hail. So even though as a volcano erupts with great fire and brimstone blowing out, All of that steam rises to the upper atmosphere, and as hot ash falls down, so does ice. And that seems to be what may be happening in this uh, particular instance as ash and steam are released into the atmosphere. Dust and ash combine so that they fall into the water, and the water turns blood red on the earth. When this first trumpet of the seventh seal blows... One-third of all the earth's trees are burned up, and all the earth's grass is scorched away. And this, of course, has a devastating effect on what? Our oxygen supply. So the oxygen levels of the earth begin to lessen because that which produces oxygen, trees and grass, all the grass is gone, a third of the trees are gone, so the oxygen supply of the earth is starting to be depleted. And that's a problem, a huge problem. The second angel raises the second trumpet of judgment. And John says that something like a burning mountain is thrown into the sea, possibly This may be an asteroid or a meteor that ignites as it crashes through the earth's atmosphere and hits uh, the, the sea. And as it hits the ocean, it causes a tremendous, huge tidal wave, bigger than anything we've ever seen. Uh, Japan had a huge tidal wave, but nothing like what uh, the tsunami is going to be that's caused by this mountain falling into the sea. As this mountain falls into the sea, however God sees fit to do that, if it's a meteor or some creation that we don't understand of God at this point, when this mountain falls into the sea, it's going to cause such destruction that one-third of the earth's fleet of ships or boats will be destroyed. It's going to kill one-third of all the living life in the seas. That causes a tremendous problem on the earth. And then also, all of the world's oceans will turn blood red. So I want you to understand that while we see natural disasters here, the whole ecosystem of the earth is totally shaken by these judgments. Now, a third angel raises the trumpet of judgment in this seventh seal. And as the third angel of the seventh seal blows the trumpet, a star falls again. If it's a natural disaster, perhaps this is a comet because it's leaving a fiery trail, according to John. But when this object hits the earth, it spoils one-third of the drinking water, the potable water on earth. You will notice that John calls this star, under God's direction, God names the star Wormwood. Now, Wormwood is a poisonous liquid that is derived by the, a certain root that grows in that part, portion of the world. So when people drink the liquid that comes from wormwood, it brings on drunkenness, 
but it also more often than not brings death. So one-third of the potable water, one-third of the drinkable water of the earth is going to be deathly poisonous when the angel number three blows the trumpet in seal number seven. Then angel number four raises his trumpet, and God supernaturally decreases the intensity of the sun by one-third. Not only does he decrease the sun, but also the intensity of the moon and the stars. So that means that day, in this natural setting of disaster, day is decreasing. And night is getting longer and deeper and darker. Now, I certainly don't have any trouble believing that God controls the light of the sun. If you remember in Joshua chapter 10 in the Old Testament, that God caused the sun to stand still as the Israelites conquered the Amorites. If God can cause the sun to stand still for a certain length of time, and by the way, astrologers have studied the stars and they have interpolated backwards and there was absolutely a time by the way the stars are arranged as they can look back in time, seeing backward how stars move, that there was indeed a time that the sun stood still. Uh, so it's a proven scientific fact that Joshua 10 is absolutely true. But the sun in the days of the great tribulation will decrease by a third. God also reduces the light of the moon and the stars by one third. So day is dimmer and night is deeper. What does that mean about the temperatures of the earth? They're falling. It's getting colder and colder. So the oxygen's getting thinner and the days are getting colder and the days are getting shorter. That's four of the seven trumpets that are underneath the seventh seal as it's broken. There are three more trumpets to go, and these are the worst of them all. And we will begin that study next week. But God, in essence, this is on your sheet, God, in essence, is allowing the earth to die. God is allowing the earth to die. Everything is drawing down. Life is leaving. Oxygen is leaving. Warmth is leaving. Doesn't it kind of leave your mind reeling when you picture that devastation? There is, there is, there is nothing that has ever happened in the history of the earth that we can compare to these days. It is that serious and that bad. I want you to keep in mind there's one cause for all of this. The sole cause for all of this happening is people would rather choose sin then choose a Savior. That's why this happens. God is exercising His right of judgment. Now, while I'm almost done with chapter 8, I do want you to take a look at one last verse. I imagine if many of you have a, a translation that, that's different from the King James Version, and if so, when I read the last verse, you went, whoop! His word is different from my word. We want to talk about that. The 13th verse of chapter 8. Let's look at it once again. And I beheld, this of course is King James, and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Now, my guess is that if you have a different translation, you do not have the word angel in your translation. The word is eagle. 
And actually, as far as the Greek word, the Greek word here is aetos, and it truly is the word eagle. However, I believe that the translators of the King James Day had whatever that was, it was taking uh, that angelic work of God, and so they translated it angel, even though the Greek word is aetos, which is eagle. But the eagle flies through heaven and cries those three words, and I believe that it is a plaintive cry and a very loud cry, as that eagle says three times, woe, woe, woe. Four trumpets have sounded, but three are yet to come in the breaking of this seventh seal. And basically what the the eagle or the angel is saying is this, you have not seen anything yet as to what's coming. You've been through a lot, but the worst is still on its way. A trinity of woes comes from the angel, from the eagle uh, in the air flying through. It's saying these three trumpets are going to deliver three woes. And when you really think about it, what's so sad, it's so tragic, is that all of these woes and tribulations will happen simply because God's human creation would not choose His Son. Do you remember uh, that passage in Matthew chapter 23 when God faces these hard-hearted Pharisees? They were men of God. They were the religious leaders of the Jewish nation of their day. And they had totally rejected Jesus. The religious leaders of the Jewish nation of that day had totally rejected the Savior. The people of Jerusalem were rejecting Christ as Savior. And Jesus says this about the people of the city of Jerusalem How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. I pray you can feel the disappointment and the sadness and the grief in Jesus' voice when he's saying, I came to gather all God's people together to offer salvation to the world. I I came to gather you as a hen gathers a brood of protection under her wings. But you would not come. His grief and his sadness is expressed. Jesus wept for those who refused to hear the good news, those who would not have faith, those who would not place their belief in him. You know, being a church truly should be, and I believe it is true in this particular instance, the church should be a place of joy. We are bound together by the very love of God. And Ideally, what should happen in a healthy church is that every church member is woven into the fabric of the life of that church so that every church member and every person who comes through these doors as a visitor seeking the Lord Jesus finds His love and His grace and a holy connection in the people of God in this place. That's the definition of a healthy church, that we are woven into the fabric of ministry together and we feel we have a place and we feel that we have brothers and sisters on whom we can depend and we feel we have a purpose in serving God in ministry in this place. I want every one of us to feel that kind of connection. Being a a church is a true joy, and we want to love and welcome everyone who comes through these doors. But as we leave the church, and as we walk into a lost and dying world where people are choosing alcohol and drugs and entertainment and possessions and bodily pleasure over the Savior, 
we should be filled with the same grief that Jesus felt when he looked over Jerusalem and wept. They would not come, and Jesus cried. We should have that same passion, that same desire to draw a world to the Savior. The study of Revelation teaches us in no uncertain terms the tragedy of being lost. You know, these last days are horrendous days, but any unbeliever who has died from this day to our past, however far back you want to go, every, every unbeliever who has died will face hell. And hell is far worse than what we're seeing here in the great tribulation on the earth. Being lost is a tragedy. And it is our joy and our opportunity to draw the lost to the Savior who has given us life. We can't save anybody, but we can lead people to the Savior. That's why we're here. That's why we worship together, but that's also why we walk out of these doors back into that world. Because the lost are out there in huge numbers. And we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We're the leaven that goes out into the world to change it with the love of Christ. So tonight, we look at our church family. We're grateful. But also tonight, I pray that as we go back out into the world, we'll go out with new eyes and a new compassion and a holy commission that we are to be leading people out of darkness into light. And that's our holy commission as the people of God. I pray that we will rededicate our lives to helping someone find Jesus. Tomorrow, I have the, the great privilege, and I consider it each time I am asked to help, I have the privilege of contributing to a funeral service. And I can promise you this, the invitation to Jesus will be given tomorrow. So as uh, you think about what's happening in life tomorrow, uh, maybe around 2 o'clock, if you will breathe just a little prayer that the invitation to Jesus will fall on a heart in that service tomorrow. We are so grateful we have a Savior. We're so grateful He saved us. But we also realize that we are saved to serve. It's true now, and according to Revelation, it will be true throughout eternity. The servants will serve God throughout eternity in heaven. What good news that is. Let's pray together. Our Father tonight, thank you for these words of Revelation. They are scary words Lord, as we think about the devastation and the judgment that is going to be poured out on this old earth. And Father, the first four trumpets of seal number seven show the earth dying away. Oxygen leaving, warmth leaving, light leaving, nature falling apart. Father, we know that those days are coming. But Father, tonight we acknowledge before you that you're a holy, loving God. But you're not a mushy love, Lord. You're rather a love that is tempered perfectly with justice and balanced with justice. And so tonight, Father, as we study Revelation and as we continue this study through, we realize, Lord, that you have the authority and the right to exercise judgment upon the very creation that you put together. It is yours, and you have the right to judge. So tonight, Father, we thank you that you're a holy God and we thank you, Father, that you always exercise your will and your way. And it is always holy and always perfect and will always bring perfect results. 
I pray tonight that we, your people, first of all, will say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you that though there was nothing worthy in me to save, that Jesus died on the cross and has risen again, a living Lord, that I might say, Lord, remember me. Father, I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters who have said that, and we will share eternal life together. That doesn't begin the moment we die. It has already begun as we have relationship right here and right now. We will share eternity together, Father. Thank you. But also, Lord, there are myriads of people outside of these doors. I would go so far as to say that many of those people are in our own families or in our own neighborhood or in the people with whom we work, people we go to school with. There are many people, Lord, who are lost. And as we see what we see in Revelation in these days, what a sad ending is coming. For, Father, we know that you told us in the book of 1 Peter that you do not desire that one person be lost. So tonight, Father, I pray that you will give us a new vision and a new fire and a new commitment to reach out to those who need Jesus as Savior. That's why we're here. Help us not waste a day. And I pray, Lord, your continued blessing and usage of this ministry of Clifford Baptist Church. Help us realize, Lord, that it is all about you. And we want to serve you. And we want to bring the lost to you. Bless us in that holy task, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.